Today is Thursday, November 12th, 2020. I'm Larry Landon. This is the LarryInFishers.com podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome once again to our podcast series, Brooke Lawson. Brooke is the HSC School's Mental Health and School Counseling Coordinator. So, Brooke, welcome back. It's always good to talk to you. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to chat. Well, it's fun to chat, but we don't have a lot of fun things to talk about, uh, sadly. Um you know, let's face it, novel coronavirus has placed uh, a new emphasis on mental health. So let me start with something maybe a, a bit out of your orbit, but I want to just at least get your view on this, because at the most recent school board meeting, the school board president, Michelle Fullhart, talked about her concern about the mental health of the staff at the school system, the stress levels, um, with some of them at the breaking point, uh, I know that's not what you normally deal with all the time, but talk about what uh, what's going on with uh, the, the teaching staff and the other staff members. Are you seeing signs of some real strain there? Yeah, you know, we've been, um, that conversation has come up a lot um, here in the district. And I would, I would argue, Larry, that we're all dealing with immense levels of stress right now. Um, I, I do know that our teachers' jobs have changed dramatically um, from past years. And I was actually just talking to a principal um, this week about it and just talking about, you know, what what feeds our teachers is that student interaction. And it looks so different right now, right? Um, they're not face-to-face with all of their students. There's not a ton of back and forth with students, especially when they're virtual. Um, and so that's really, really difficult. And I can't think of a more important time right now than to, you know, be really intentional about taking care of our mental health and focusing on those things that we can do to take care of our mental health. And so we are trying to offer um, different supports to our staff. So um, with our partners through Community Health Network, we've done some individual debriefing sessions with staff who are just under a lot of pressure, or maybe there's been a situation in their building where they need to take some time to talk to a mental health professional. So we've been offering that to our teachers. Um, We have been doing some psychoeducational presentations is what we call those, where we're just really giving teachers an hour of time where they can just really learn about all the different ways they can take care of themselves, spending some time just talking about all the feelings that they're having, talking with one another about the struggles that they're having, but also then making a plan um, about how they're going to take care of themselves. Yeah, I, when I heard some of the stories, I'll talk more about that later, about how the staff has been moved around just to cover the classrooms. But let's let's talk a moment about the COVID-19 impact on students and parents. So on the student side, I would, I'm, I shouldn't presume, I'll just ask, are you seeing an increase in the demand for mental health services with the hybrid, the virtual, and some of the in-person learning going on? Is Is that upping the demand for the services in in, in your shop? So that's a a somewhat difficult question to answer because this is normally the time where we start to see an increase in referrals for mental health services. Um, Teachers are getting to know their students a little bit better. Sometimes students are becoming a little bit more comfortable in the classroom. Um, That, you know, first couple of months of excitement of school has worn off. Um, or school's getting a little bit harder and kids are struggling a little bit more. So it's hard to tell whether, you know, the in, we are, 
we always have an increase around this time in referrals. I will tell you that through lots of conversations with our school counselors and our administrators, one thing that they have noted is that a lot of the behavioral issues have, are really down this school year. So they're not seeing a ton of behavioral issues like they do in past years. Um, kids are doing really well um, in the buildings and our suicide um, risk assessments are actually dramatically down from previous years. Um, we track all of that data. I'm, I won't say that there aren't any um, because Sadly, that's a normal, um, those assessments are relatively normal in a district our size. Um, and, you know, we have actually heard from some mental health providers in the community that the HSE students are among some of the students that are doing the best managing this pandemic. And what they've said is they've noticed that students from other districts who quickly went back to school and didn't take the slow approach like we did, have really seen a regression in their symptoms, whereas they have not seen a regression in symptoms of students at, at HSE schools. Very interesting observation. I, I find that. Mm -hmm. uh, let me kind of dovetail on something you just said, because um, I know that staff members, sometimes even other students, provide the referrals to you and your shop as to maybe a student that may need to be evaluated, may need services. Uh, has this virtual learning hybrid in many cases, has that made it more difficult to evaluate? Because you just talked about the fact that this, some of the teachers are just getting to know the students and, and you know, you've got started virtual, then they went to hybrid and uh, you've got some situations and I can't believe how the teachers are doing this, having in-person and virtual students at the same class, which is added to their stress level. But the real question I'm asking here is, uh, the hybrid and virtual learning models, has that impacted uh, the ability of the staff members and even other students to evaluate what's going on with those who may be at risk? So I think that's such a good question. And at the beginning of the school year, when we started virtually, we were really intentional about um, the way we started school. And we even, we did surveys with all of the students in grades five through 12 and the parents in grades K through four, where we asked some real intentional questions about how the kids were doing and what supports they felt like they needed. And so our school counselors and our classroom teachers did a really good job reading those surveys, um, checking in on the students who were struggling. I would say probably the most difficult approach is, is, is a hybrid or, you know, it's difficult to, um, really check in on those students who are fully virtual at times. It's hard for the teachers when they're not seeing kids in person. Um, and sometimes when students aren't, you know, they don't turn their screen on or they're laying in bed and you can't see their face, that's really difficult for them to, um, to check in on them. So I won't say that this is a, a simple environment to um, approach and check in on students, but we're continuing to, to put things in place and try to get feedback from our students. In fact, two or last week, we did another kind of um, at our high schools, did another kind of survey, checking in, trying to figure out where kids were and what kids needed support or what kids needed to talk to an adult. So it is a little bit more difficult. And I would say that that could be part of the reason that some of our um, assessments are a little bit down in regards to the suicide assessments because the kids, some of the students are not in the building. 
Um, but we are hopeful that our kids are connecting. They know how to connect to the adults um, in their building and they know how to ask for help when they need it. I know part of your responsibility is not just mental health, but it's also the counseling program. And it was mentioned at the most recent school board meeting that counselors are pitching in to staff the classrooms when there's a shortage of, of teachers and even subs uh, to staff those classrooms. So, I mean, so the stress levels, not just with the teaching staff or the subs or the uh, structural assistants, it's also the counseling program. Has that had an impact on the counseling program, this need for counselors to uh, to fill in. And by the way, some of the teachers are even giving up their prep periods to, to cover some of these classes. I mean, the pain is being spread around, but uh, just curious how it impacts the counseling program in particular. Well, it certainly does um, impact the counseling program. And I would tell you, too, our, our principals and our assistant principals are also subbing in the classrooms um, as well. But it does make it more difficult um, for the counselors then to get to students if that's needed. Um, I would hope that we would pull a counselor out of the classroom if they were substitute teaching if we had a student in need. I know our buildings do a really nice job of making sure that kids get what they need when they need it. So, um, but you're right, with all of our staff being spread so thin, um, it is a little bit of a struggle. I'd like you to talk for a moment about something you already alluded to. I think the people in the community sometimes are not aware of this because this was uh, entered into a long time ago, but community health does provide the uh, services for your mental health program. So talk about the contract, what it calls for, how that works uh, in conjunction with your supervision of that program. Sure. Um, we entered into the contract with Community Health Network in January of 2017. Um, it was actually a result of our referendum. Um, money was set aside to address the mental health needs of students in the district. And so we have at least one mental health therapist um, placed at every single school in the district. So both of our high schools have two full-time therapists. Um, and we only have six schools that share a therapist. So the therapist is split between two buildings um, and splits their time um, within those buildings. But most of our schools have a full-time on-site mental health therapist in addition to the school counselors in that building. So those therapists are there to provide uh, more intensive mental health intervention and treatment to students and families. And they, they continue to serve um, our students and families, even through the pandemic. So when everything shut down back in March, um, they shifted completely to virtual sessions with students and families. Um, and then as the state opened back up, we shifted um, them back into buildings in order for them to provide face-to-face -face, um, services um, back in July. I know that when that contract was first entered into uh, both uh, the administration of the school system and community, excuse me, <clears throat> pretty much said, we're doing something brand new here. And even some of the financial uh, arrangements, you know, it's like, we're going to have to kind of wait and see how this works out over time to see if we have this right. Do you think after a few years that you do have it right now? 
You know, I think that we are making some great strides and we actually presented some data um, at the last school board meeting, um, not last night, but the the meeting before. And um, with some of our suicide prevention work, we, um, we keep a lot of data around that, around the assessments that are done and by our school counselors or school administrators and the number of assessment, assessments are, that are then handed off to our mental health therapist. And what we are um, seeing, we started tracking that data back when I started in the district in 2016, and we're seeing a decrease in the number of students who are meeting a risk level so high that they need to be passed along to our in-house therapist for an assessment and potentially placed in the hospital. Um, so we're starting to see a decrease in those numbers, but we're also seeing an increase in the number of kids that are um, being referred to our therapist, which... I think tells us that we're, we're intervening earlier with kids. They're not getting to that crisis point where they're considering taking their life, but they're, we're noticing the symptoms earlier. We're getting them the help that they need. And then, you know, their treatment is not lasting um, extremely long. So um, this school year, the average length of treatment was 12 months for a student, but in previous years, it's been seven months, six months. So um, that is also an exciting um, data point to, to look at. You know, in the past, I've talked with the uh, local youth assistance program, and they work closely with uh, the schools. When I talk to them about students who are at risk or need help, what I always hear from them is that when a student is having issues, not in every case, but in a large number of cases, the family is also in some kind of crisis or also having issues. So my question here is when you have a, a student that's being treated and there are family issues that come up, how does that become a part of that whole treatment package? Mm-hmm. Well, as a mental health therapist myself, who um, the majority of my clients were children, um, it's not often that a therapist will treat a child without having some interactions with the family. Um, because one of the things that we know about treating children is that it's important that their caregiver is a part of that treatment too. And um, you know, is a part of some of the conversations and sometimes things have to, well, sometimes most of the time things have to change at home too. Right. Um, and so making sure that our therapists are supporting the families of the children that they're working with is really, really important. I'm curious uh, about this because I know this was uh, part of the original contract and no one was quite sure how this was going to work out. And I'm wondering how this is, evolved into the current uh, way it's, it's done now. How does the school district and community health handle a student without mental health insurance coverage? And let's say they're just done it, the family, the student's just unable to pay for the mental health services. How, how do you handle that situation? So there, there are a couple of different um, approaches that can be taken. And one is a newer approach that I'm really, really excited about um, to be able to offer to families. So last school year, um, we noticed this as kind of a need in the district, right? Students maybe that didn't have mental health coverage or had no insurance at all, um, being able to access services. And so prior to last school year, families could be put on a sliding fee scale based on their um, family income. 
Um, but sometimes that was still a barrier for families. And we would lean heavily on the youth assistance program to help assist us with assisting the family and finding maybe insurance or, you know, jumping through some of the barriers that, that they might be experiencing. But um, last school year, the Peyton Recall Foundation um, had, you know, talked about they've served our schools since prior to, to me coming um, to the district, they've come alongside the schools and really tried to be a partner in filling gaps when it comes to supporting students with mental health needs. Um, and so Mike has always had a heart for making sure that any kid that needs therapy has the opportunity to, to access that therapy. And so um, we got together with the Hamilton Southeastern Schools Education Foundation um, and Fisher's Youth Assistance um, and the Optimist Club in Fishers, and each of those nonprofits donated money to what we call Project Hope. Um, and that um, fund is held by the HSE Schools Foundation, and students who don't have the ability to pay for services or don't have insurance, um, they can be referred and apply to receive um, a Project Hope scholarship. Um, and we last school year, we served 16 students, um, and some of it was just for a short period of time from the time that maybe they had a lapse in insurance or they were switching insurance providers. And some of them, you know, they, they had no insurance at all, and they were able to work through the struggles that were going on and um, be discharged successfully. So um, I'm really excited about that fund, and all of the nonprofits have agreed again this year to donate um, and we've written a few grants, so we're hopeful that that fund will grow um, and that we'll be able to serve even more students this school year. That's an interesting uh, coming together of many nonprofits. And I've, 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 I've met and talked to Mike Rekoff with his foundation, the Peyton Rekoff Foundation. For those who don't know, maybe new to the community, his daughter uh, sadly committed suicide and, and he has worked very hard to use that foundation as a way to help others. And I can't say enough about what Mike and, and that group have done. But at the Optimist Club and the foundation, the school's foundation, having them all work together, that it's amazing what you can do when people join forces. That I l always love to hear a story like that. Yeah, it's exciting. There is a section of the school district's website on mental health, and it, it talks about how to discuss with your child, COVID-19. Now, mm -hmm. yeah, I've been very public about this. I just had a bout with COVID-19. I'm 69 years old. I'm in a very high-risk category. So I was about ready to put my affairs in order. I was worried, but I was able to get through it, which was I'm forever thankful for. But I must tell you that uh, I, I was emailing my primary care physician every other day at her suggestion and she really kind of held my hand through this, encouraging me. You know, many people have, uh, you know, a very mild, I wouldn't call them mild symptoms, but I could get through it. I mean, at the time, they seemed mild because compared to what it could have been, it was very mild. So I know how important that was just to have my doctor encouraging me to do what I needed to do to get through it and, and to do all the healthy you know, practices I needed to do. So I guess with that in mind, here I am an adult needing that kind of support. What? should parents be saying to their children about COVID-19? 
So I myself am a parent of two relatively young kiddos. So I have a four and seven year old, and this is a constant conversation in our um, household as well. And so I think, you know, there are a lot of our kids are looking to us as adults to, you know, how do I handle this? How do I unhandle all of this uncertainty and stress and fear and worry? Um, and tired, right? We're all exhausted. We're tired of not being able to see our family members and the holidays are coming up and that's looking like we're all not going to be able to see each other again. And so um, I think as an adult, number one, you have to make sure you're taking care of yourself. And like I said earlier, there's never been a more important time than now to be really intentional about making sure that you're doing the things that you need to do to take care of your mental health, to reduce your stress, um, because your kids need you um, to be able to be there for them. Um, and so I think that's one way is to make sure that you're okay and that you're finding the outlets that you need, um, you know, talking to your friends about the struggles that you're having, maybe seeing a therapist um, if that's needed, but also just, you know, reminding your kids of the things that you can control. We say this all the time, the things that we do to keep ourselves safe or wear our mask, wash our hands, keep our distance, right? We stay home if we're sick. Um, so reminding your kids of those things and then just being there to let them ask you questions, to support them, to check in on them. So, you know, we've we've done this prior to COVID, but even those nightly check-ins during dinner of what was the best part of your day and what was the worst part of your day, um, those things are still really, really important. Um, you know, talking to your kids about how they're feeling about school. You know, we were talking today, like, the current school that our kids are in is not the school that they've been used to. Um, and that's been difficult for a lot of kids. Um, I know my own child has lately been telling me like, I don't want to wear a mask all day. And like, well, that's what we do to keep ourselves safe. So allowing for those conversations and then, you know, also reminding your kids of the things that they can do to keep their mental health well. Um, and so, you know, Allowing for that social interaction, too, for your kids in a safe way, whatever that might look like, is important as well, because our kids need to be interacting with their peers, because um, that helps their mental health. Um, so those are just some of the things, you know, even... Um, being cognizant of how much news you're watching, I, I thought about this last night, we we really like to watch the news in our house. Um, and I looked up and looked over and saw my seven-year-old glued to the TV and it was all the ICU beds. And I'm like, oh, this, I need to change the channel. So, you know, just realizing that stuff is scary for our kids. There was a study recently um, that I read about the traumatic effects of 9-11. And interestingly, the people who watched some of those events unfold on the news had similar PTSD symptoms to the people who actually lived close to the towers. And so remembering that like the news, although us adults really want to watch it and stay informed, it's not always the best thing for our kids to see. Yeah. My, uh, my daughters who are now in their mid twenties were in elementary school when nine 11 happened. And, and yeah, that, mm -hmm. Had to have conversations uh, about that. I want to ask another aspect of what you just talked about because the Fisher's Health Department has been very clear over the last few days that there has been a tamping down of public events, large events, uh, but where transmission seems to be happening now 
is within small groups of families, friends, Mm -hmm. gatherings in private homes. Uh, Do you think that, you know, this is this kind of ties into the mental health aspect of it. If if people uh, just get so tired of it, you know, they just have had it. I, I'm throwing the mask away. I can't do it anymore. And yet, we know what happens if you take that attitude and 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 you mentally just kind of melt down. And there are people, sadly, where this is happening. So I'd like you to just talk about how important it is to keep yourself together within the family unit, within your close group of friends. Because, uh, and I ask this question because that seems to be where a lot of the transmissions are happening of late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's now more than ever, it's really important to really be thinking like, is it is this really something that I have to do? You know, we, my son was supposed to go to a birthday party last weekend. And we said, I'm sorry, but you're just not going to be able to do that right now. It's just not safe. And so, you know, our kids and us adults, we can interact socially. Like we're, we're pretty lucky that we have the technology that we do, that we can still have interactions with people. Um, and we don't necessarily have to be face to face. So like, you know, when, when we talked, um, early on in the pandemic about social distancing, it's probably better to call it physical, right? We shouldn't be social distancing from those that we need because we need one another. Um, And we're all in this together Um, and it's affecting us all in different ways, but we have to find some safe ways that we can continue to participate in some of the activities um, that help keep us um, healthy but also are safe with the pandemic right now. And that can be a little challenging, but I don't think it's impossible. Yeah, just to let people know, you and I are doing this by Zoom, even though I live literally around the corner from the school administration (laughs) building. Love doing these uh, interviews in person, but I haven't done an in-person interview since, I think, March or April, just Mm -hmm. to keep everybody safe and and feeling safe. Um, So I've become an expert on doing Zoom meetings, which I never thought I would be. Yeah. Well, you know, funny, um, my son is seven and he and his best friend recently have figured out that they can FaceTime each other from their iPads. And I kid you not, they he takes it outside and they shoot hoops together through FaceTime. And I'm like, well, I didn't ever do that, but <laughs> it's safe. And sure, go for it. I think <laughs> so. the kids can be more creative than we can be at times, don't you think? Yeah. So as, mm-hmm. you, as you said, sometimes the youngsters handle this better than the adults. They've, yeah. they, they, and, you know, we, we have to keep that in mind. We don't want to support them, but sometimes they're better than we are in handling these, these stresses. Yeah. Part well, of, and I do ahead, think please. that for families, this, you know, that time that we were all at the, having the stay-at-home order, I think that for, for a lot of families, that was really good for them to slow down. Um, and just spend some time together. I know in this community, we're all really busy. We're all running from thing to thing to thing. And I know for my own family, when we slowed down and, you know, we weren't doing ballet and sports and all those things, it was actually kind of a nice time to just be at home with each other. Um, and, and now we're kind of reevaluating what do we really think is important to be doing um, and to be having our kids participating in. Um, and so I think it has had, there have been some positive um, effects of COVID for sure. Part of uh, Mayor Scott Fadness's mental health program and the one at the school system is the campaign to remove the stigma from mental health treatment. Uh, it's been going on for a long time now. How do you think the local community is doing on that front? 
That's a really good question. So I think one of the things that right now, there's been a lot of conversation about mental health being the reason for so many things that need to happen or getting back to normal even, right? Um, and while I, I, I don't disagree that our mental health is so important and our ability to participate in so many of the things that we used to be able to participate in is really important. I think sometimes that can contribute to the stigma a little bit. And so I think it's important that we're careful um, with making that the reason that we must do certain things. Now, I don't disagree that our kids need to be able to participate in activities that make them happy. And this is just a really difficult time for all of us, right? But um, I just think we have to be careful um, because we could stigmatize the word even more. Um, and I think our community has been headed in a great direction with that stigma and with the conversation and the importance of reaching out. And so I think, you know, if a, if a child is struggling, please, like if you're, if, if someone listening to this podcast has a child who's really struggling right now, um, I would encourage them to talk to their school counselor, talk to their child's teacher. Um, you can contact me and I would be happy to have a conversation, but we have so many supports in this community that I would hate for someone to be struggling and not get the help that they needed. Well, we're almost done with our time. Uh, just anything that uh, you would like to add that maybe I didn't think to ask? Not that I can think of. Well, that was, <laughs> I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I want to say that uh, for you and, and your staff and all the people at the school system, the teaching staff, all the support staff, uh, I, I, you know, I, I haven't been going to the school board meetings, but I've been watching them virtually and still talking to people. And it's amazing what has been accomplished under the tremendous stresses that mm -hmm. everyone is under. So I'm just wondering if you may end up in a classroom soon if they can't get enough subs. Well, you know what? I was ready to sub a few weeks ago. And the times that I had available in the day where I didn't have meetings scheduled and the times that I could get in the building to sub didn't quite line up. But I am ready to do that if needed. Um, working with kids is one of the reasons I'm here. I love work, being around students, so I would welcome supporting um, our buildings any way that I can. I think that there's good news. We did hear at the school board meeting just most recently that uh, there are 21 subs already in orientation. So if there's, mm -hmm. although some subs are, are hesitant to uh, to go back, uh, there are some who are saying, okay, I'm ready to jump in. So that's an encouraging sign. But mm -hmm. uh, Brooke Lawson, you are the HSC School's Mental Health and School Counseling Coordinator. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being Thanks, here. Thanks, Larry.